0: Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book. I'm a registered dietitian. Now what? Where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story, of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today my conversation is with Courtney Slater, a fellow colleague and nutrition expert who has a special place in her heart for working with children with diabetes. Today's episode is sponsored by Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn, where my guest and I get to snack smart and snack happy with Jolly Time Popcorn. To learn more information about this perfect snack, visit jollytime.com. Make sure to go check out my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian Now What? It is available for purchase at anelizabethrd.com and it also is available as an ebook on Amazon and on iTunes. Courtney has a strong personal connection to nutrition because of her own personal experiences and struggles with diabetes and celiac disease. She initially started her career path in education and teaching because she loved working with kids. And along the way, she realized she wanted to educate others as a registered dietitian. She is now meshing her two passions, kids and diabetes education, and her dietitian journey so far is very inspiring. And she openly shares her insight on living and helping others Especially children with these diseases. Please enjoy my conversation with Courtney. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were thirty-two. Mm-hmm. I would have much younger. No, <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I would have guessed you like twenty-six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well, because dietetics is my second career. Oh, so, it is.
0: Yeah. I didn't. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about. So you, when you were going, when you kind of figured out your dietetics
1: journey. So mm-hmm. you said it's your second career. So mm-hmm. where did you start? I started in teaching. So I did elementary education. I never actually had my own classroom, but when I graduated, I went to Grandview University, and when I graduated from there, I realized I love working with kids. I love teaching. But what I really wanted to do was work with people with diabetes. And in order to do that, I had to go back to school. Either had to be like a, a nurse, doctor, something in the medical field. And I really didn't have an interest in being you know, a nurse or doctor or anything like that. But dietetics, I've always found interesting nutrition in that. So I decided to go back to school. So I graduated, had a summer off, and then went right back to school at Iowa State. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm.
0: So how did you mm-hmm. get interested in diabetes?
1: Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 when I was 5. So, I mean, pretty much my entire life. I mean, like sure. I said, I'm 32. So 27 – it's actually 27 years this Friday. It's my, you remember? Yes. <laughs> you will not forget. I mean, it was two days before Christmas, and I was 5 years old. So I was in – So tell me more about that story. Um, it was – December 23rd, 1989. Take this back. Yes. Um, And I had been very sick. I mean, most of the story I don't remember. You know, I hear it from my parents. But I had apparently been really sick, like had the the flu or what they thought was the flu. And I was just constantly throwing up, had no energy. And I was very tiny. Like, I just wasn't growing. I had lost a lot of weight. My parents said I was... um, like about 35, 38 pounds when I was five. So, I mean, that's very tiny. You know, my my niece is four, and she's, you know, close to 40 pounds. So, I mean, I was, you know, way behind where I should have been. Yeah. Um, And I started struggling in school. I mean, obviously, you know, when you just don't feel good, you can't stop Mm. throwing up. And my parents said that actually started about October, and they just kept saying, taking me to the doctor, and the doctor just kept saying, you know, she'll be okay. She's just having a hard time getting over it. And then eventually my parents, it was – two days before Christmas, and um, my mom was going to go Christmas shopping, but she just didn't think I could go. Like, she didn't think I could handle it. So we went to the doctor one last time, and for whatever reason, the doctor finally decided to do a blood test. And my blood sugar was so high, it wouldn't even register. Oh, my
0: Um,
1: gosh. Most meters now, they cap out at 600. But whatever technology they used back in 1989 they they figured my blood sugar was probably somewhere over a 1000 so i mean i was very sick and i was very close to death they said that you know if we had waited till after christmas i probably would have gone into a coma oh my um, goodness which is it's called diabetic ketoacidosis and i was i was way into that i mean sure. like i was you know near the end of that stage and so they took me right away from the doctor's office to the hospital And I spent the next eight days um, between ICU and then just blank children's hospital, just trying to get my blood sugars back down, you know, and basically learn a whole new life. I mean, you know, I was at the age of five, like I had to start controlling my food, counting carbohydrates, looking at my portion size, you know, I mean, all that. So um, basically my whole life, like my, my life has revolved around food and nutrition. You know, I've always had to know the information that's in that food. When I was 17, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So, then I had to start eating gluten free. On top of that, um, and I've actually, I'm, I'm probably just because I've lived with diabetes so long, I've always felt like that's kind of the easy part. I feel like the gluten free part is actually a lot tougher, um, just because there aren't quite as many. I mean, there are now, but there weren't sure. as many gluten free products when I was first diagnosed. So. My whole life has revolved around food some way or another. Constantly. So, so yeah. And I I made some missteps, you know, in my life with diabetes. Like, as a teenager, of course, I rebelled. I wanted to pretend I didn't have it. You know, I just wanted to be like every other kid. So I kind of figured if I can go into diabetes education and if I can help prevent one kid from making those same mistakes that I made, then I feel like I'm doing my job. So that's really what brought me back to um, moving from teaching to being a dietitian because... I knew that eventually I could become a certified diabetes educator. So, from beginning to end, it took me about seven years from the time I said I want to be a diabetes educator to the time I actually passed the exam. So, it was a big goal. That's a huge goal. Were yeah. You,
0: So, you decided to be, so you went, you did your teaching, and then you became mm-hmm. a diet. How, how long did it take you on? after you did your teaching degree to do your dietetics degree?
1: Um, it was another three and a half years. Okay. So I was in college for almost eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, I didn't have a master's degree. <laughs> I know. And I did, that was an option, but it would have added another two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, seven and a half is enough. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. And I had always taken summer classes too because teaching was four and a half years and I was able to get out in four taking summer classes. And then dietetics would have been another four years, but I took summer classes. So I was able to do it in three and a half so essentially, for, you know, those seven and a half years, never had like summers off or anything.
0: You were just constantly being a student. I was always
1: in school. Where yeah. did
0: you, where did you go to do your dietetics?
1: Iowa State. Iowa State. Yep. I decided I wanted to stay in Iowa. I mean, there are lots of options for dietetics, just not in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't ready to move yet. I mean, I was still pretty young. And even though I was, you know, 21, 22, I felt still pretty immature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I needed to stay close to home.
0: So um, did you do your internship with Iowa State then Mm -hmm. as well?
1: Yes. My internship, I struggled to get into an internship. Um, Did you? I went through two rounds of matching. And my second round, I actually didn't match. But Iowa State called me a couple days later and asked if I would be willing to be an alternate. And you were like, yes, yes, (laughs) someone, yeah, someone declined their internship. So I was able to take over their placement. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I was getting kind of nervous at that point, you know, because you think if you go through three rounds and you still don't have an internship, like, what do you do? (laughs) So, well, it's so competitive now too. I mean, it's difficult to get an internship. Yeah. And they told us the year that. Um, we were did our internship matching that only about 50% of our class had actually matched. <sighs> that's so, so discouraging. It was. I mean, because we had always been told in the past, you know, Iowa State has really high placement, mm-hmm. you're going to do really well, you don't have to worry about it. So then when you don't match, you, you know, in your head you're thinking, I'm the only one.
0: <laughs> Everybody else <laughs> got to match, I'm wrong. the only yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: we found out, you know, about half our class didn't match.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's so you did your internship. Mm-hmm. And during your internship, did you, since you did have such a good familiarity with diabetes, did you mm-hmm. kind of seek other opportunities during your internship to just learn more about dietetics? Yeah,
1: because I didn't know if I wanted to do clinical, if I wanted to do community. I just really wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go for diabetes. I mean, there's so many different avenues Uh that you can go down. Um, So I really took that as an opportunity to see what it was like to be in a hospital, what it was like to be in the community. I had already been working for Hy-Vee at that time, I started working for Hy-Vee when I was still in school, so oh, okay. I kind of knew what it was like to be a hy V dietitian, I mean, even though I wasn't a dietitian, but I just kind of had an idea of, you know, what the day-to-day was like, so when we did our community rounds, rather than doing my community internship with Hy-Vee, they let me go back to Iowa State, and I did it with Team Nutrition, which was a lot of oh, fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, Team Nutrition is a USDA-grant-funded, um, like, organization, I guess, or... I'm not quite sure what you would call them, but what they do is essentially they help educate kids for just body positivity, health and wellness, physical activity and all that. And so one of the projects that I worked on was uh, school lunches, revamping school lunches to make them healthier. So we did a lot of menu testing and then we would actually pilot them in 10 different schools. So we would test the recipes at Iowa State. If the recipe went well, we would provide the recipes to the schools, and then those ten schools would make the lunches, and then the children would review them and kind of tell us what they thought, hmm. and then we would make um, alterations if we needed to. So that was actually a lot of fun. Like I do find recipe modification, substitution, and that really interesting. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool, and I spent I think only just three weeks doing that. So you I do think I could have spent a lot longer. Yeah, you up. It, it was fun. Um, And it was really great to see at the end of the year when I just kind of followed up to see what was going on, how the recipes went and how more schools were adopting them. So it was just what we did was we did the simple switches, you know, like changing the grains to whole grains, Mm -hmm. um, adding more fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables to the recipes and that. And so... Was really interesting. I mean, I couldn't try most of them since I have to eat gluten free. Sure, (laughs) I was going to say that made it difficult for you to eat them. (laughs) Yeah, but it was still fun to be in the kitchen and you know, kind of wearing like my scientist hat Mm -hmm. while cooking. So I've always found that interesting. Although that's not necessarily what I want to do for a job. Mm -hmm. I just think it's fun for a pastime. And you do, and you're doing it for kids too. So that kind Mm -hmm. of takes you back to your passion for working with kids as well. Yes, and I have to admit that, even though I'm not. Technically, a teacher that that education and background that I have has been so helpful. Like, as a dietitian, you are a teacher. Constantly. You're, you're just yeah. teaching in a different manner. And so I use those tools every day, all the time.
0: Well, I'm sure there's different techniques and there's different things that you mm-hmm. learned as a, in that profession yeah. that probably make you a better educator. Because so I think a lot of yeah. us as dietitians, we don't always learn the educator role as mm-hmm. well as we probably should. So that probably was a huge benefit to right. you.
1: Yeah. I mean, people learn in different ways. You know, there are people who learn through art and music, people who learn through reading and writing, people who learn through seeing or doing. And so knowing those different tools has helped me when I do go into classrooms because I know that not every student's going to learn the same. Mm -hmm. So I can use that information to help me figure out how can this class as a whole learn, but how can I make it more interesting for everybody and engage everyone? That's a really good point.
0: I probably need to come spend some time with you and (laughs) learn some of your teaching techniques
1: (laughs) to enhance my skills. I do think it would be so beneficial if Um, dietetics colleges incorporated more of the education classes into the dietetics degree. I just think it's tools you need. I mean, whether you're at a hospital, you're in the community, you're still teaching, whether it's one-on-one or in a group and you need that information, but nobody's done it yet.
0: I think that's a good point. And I also Mm -hmm. think like, um, like psychology, like more of that therapy type, you know, Mm -hmm. really getting into, I think those two things would be a good Mm -hmm. blend into a nutrition program. Yes.
1: I mean, food is tied so deeply with people's emotions. And sometimes a lot of what we do in the office is we we just listen mm-hmm. to what people have to say. And it's it's interesting how much you can learn from a person just by listening, just by sitting there and listening to them talk. I mean, you kind of figure out how their food story goes. And a lot of people, you know, they're either emotional eaters or... Their emotional restrictors, or you know, I mean, something is going on, but food is very much tied to emotions.
0: Well, and you probably experience that, like you said, having diabetes and having your rebellious mm-hmm. ages in <laughs> the teens, where you were like, "I'm sick of this. I yes. don't want to deal with this anymore." So, there's a huge other population mm-hmm. too that are going through ups and downs emotionally with their food, and yeah, and then celiac on top of it too. So. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about um so as being a diabetic yourself mm-hmm. do you have like a family history of diabetes or was it something no, that no um,
1: we're and type 1 diabetes is a little bit different like there can be a genetic component but even if both parents have type 1 you still have less than a 10% chance of developing type 1 so it's kind of just um you know a genetic crapshoot
0: You know, it's just like, dang it. Yeah. (laughs) Did
1: you get the gene or did you didn't? And Mm -hmm. my family actually went through genetic testing. We don't have any kind of genetic marker for diabetes. So it's just an autoimmune disorder. Something triggered my immune system to start killing off, you know, those insulin cells. So... I was the lucky one. I guess it's got to start somewhere. <laughs> it starts <laughs> so with <was> me. you. <laughs> yeah. So, you, when
0: did you, now when you were younger, did you do your own insulin shots? Mm-hmm. Did your parents help you with that? Yeah.
1: It was both. It was both. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed at five and I was not ready. I didn't want to do my own shots until I was eight. I went to Camp Perko Hollow, the type 1 diabetes summer camp uh, up in Boone. And there they kind of had a rule where if you weren't doing something, you at least had to try it while you were there. And mm-hmm. so I had to at least try giving myself a shot. And so that was actually where, where I started. Was and it? Yeah. It had been almost three years since my diagnosis. I finally gave my first shot. So, Good for you. Yeah. But, I mean, my <laughs> parents still helped. Of course, they want to double check, you know, make sure I'm not like overdosing yeah, or not just underdosing. Yourself. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was when you're younger, you have that freedom where your parents can take over for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously when you're older now, you know, if I don't want to take a shot, well, that's too bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody like, uh, else is here to, I do, it. to do
1: it. <laughs> are you yeah. currently
0: doing shots? Or are you doing an insulin pump?
1: I wear an insulin pump and I sometimes wear a glucose monitor. Um, over time I have really sensitive skin and I developed an allergy to insulin or the preservatives in insulin. Oh, okay. so, and I've also developed an allergy to adhesive and tape. So, oh, no. um, I prefer an insulin pump to shots despite having an allergy to like the tape that keeps it attached to my body. Um, And I've noticed that with my sensitivity to insulin, when I take shots, I have several small itchy welts all over my body. Whereas if I wear an insulin pump, it's one concentrated area. Where that adhesive is. Mm -hmm. Where the adhesive and then where the insulin is infused. So I prefer to have the one concentrated area as opposed to several (laughs) all over my body. So that's why I only sometimes wear a glucose monitor because that's a really large area covered in Mm -hmm. tape. So I'll wear it for about a week or two. Just to kind of get a gauge mm -hmm, of
0: how things are going. Yeah,
1: take a week or two off and then put it back on again. So, I mean, diabetes is a little more complicated with me just because I have some other um, complicating conditions. But, I mean, I still make it work. I mean, and I still, just like everybody, I still go through my phases of burnout. You know, where I'm like... sure. (laughs) <laughs> well, and then you're also, you're teaching it. You're
0: dealing with patients with it too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're constantly surrounded by it. Yeah. And so when you be, when you decided you want to be a CDA, did you worry about kind of maybe overall burnout with dealing with
1: patients, with dealing with your own? Um, I didn't only because I had already been there. I had already been through that. And I felt like it gave me the advantage of being able to tell somebody, I understand. Mm-hmm. I've been there and I've done that. And so I know what you're going through. And burnout is something, it doesn't just happen once in a diabetic's life, it, it happens repeatedly over and over again. And so it's just trying to manage that you find ways to recover quickly, you know, once you heal from that essentially. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's a lot about mental health. I mean, mental health is one of the big things about diabetes. that's not yet recognized, not yet talked about. And I'm a huge mental health advocate. So I, I do talk about that. I do bring it up with all the patients that I meet with, like. You need to, if you feel burnout, you feel sad, you feel depressed, you need to talk to somebody even if you just want to come talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I feel that mental health is so poorly understood still. There's such a stigma attached to it. I just don't want people to feel like they're alone or that they have no way out or that they don't have anybody to talk to. It's very easy to feel alone with diabetes, even though there are millions of others who also Mm -hmm. have it. It's just very easy to feel like your particular struggles are... Only, only yours, by you. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I, I try to make sure that nobody feels that way. So when you became
0: a CD, what are the requirements for that again? So you
1: um, you have to be practicing in your field for at least two years. Okay. Um, you have to accumulate a thousand hours of contact time, um, and that can be like just doing health fairs. It can be patient one-on-one time. It can be charting, as long as it's somehow connected to diabetes. You have to have a thousand hours. Um, and then you have to have 15 CEUs in a diabetes field too.
0: Okay. And is that, do you take any tests and you certificate? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, it's, a, oh, it's a big exam. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, I mean, I thought the RD exam was hard, but I would say the CDE exam was by way far harder. harder. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I went into it thinking I had the advantage because I lived with it. Sure. And that did not help me at all. It, it just confused me, really. <laughs> because I kept thinking, well, if this was me, this is what sure. I would do. But, you know, that answer is never an option. It's not on the there. technical <laughs> yes. way of doing things that they <laughs> right. want. <laughs> right. So that was a very hard exam. But, I mean, I, obviously I passed. Obviously and, you did. Congratulations yeah. <laughs> on that. Thanks. I was glad I did it. And it was, I mean, it was just something where now I know if I were to do it again, I would prepare differently. Sure. But,
0: you do know. you have to retake the test?
1: No. Once only, only you're certified, you're certified. Yes. Only if you let it lapse. You okay. let your certification lapse without renewing. You're
0: never going to do that. Mm-mm, no. No. <laughs> I will not repeat that test. <laughs> so how long after you became an RD did you take the CD exam?
1: Um, it was, it was... Uh, About two and a half years. My two year anniversary as a dietitian was past the cutoff date for the fall exam. So I had to wait until that next spring before I could take it. I tried. I I called um, the certification board. I did because it was only two weeks.
0: past the cutoff date,
1: Um, but they said, we don't make exceptions. So, wow. I waited. You
0: waited. You had more time to study. (laughs) I did.
1: Not that that's what I did with that time, but (laughs) it's okay. It was an (laughs) option.
0: (laughs) So you were, were you working at the time then?
1: Mm -hmm. So tell me about your first job out of your internship. Um, my first job out of my internship, I worked part-time for Hy-Vee as a Hy-Vee dietitian. I started out at Pleasant Hill and I worked part-time for Knoxville hospital as their inpatient outpatient dietitian. Um, I stayed there. Uh, when I worked at Knoxville Hospital, I was a contract dietitian with Sodexo. Okay. So I started out with Sodexo, and I actually, I liked it. I enjoyed it because Knoxville is a very small hospital, 23 beds, and, you know, usually maybe 10 of those beds are actually filled. So you were filled. in charge of everybody. hmm Yes. And that's what I liked. I mean, Knoxville being a small town, it was nice that everybody came through me so that there wasn't, you know, another dietitian mm-hmm. who I would say, well, the, that's your patient. I need to refer you to them. Or anything like that. So I kind of had a hand in everybody that was there. And I liked that. Especially because I was both inpatient and outpatient. Mm-hmm. If I saw them in the hospital, I could follow up with them outside of the hospital. That's a great thing. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, we unfortunately, the hospital was bought by Mercy. And Mercy went in-house with their dietitian, And I had a non-compete. So when they transferred over to Mercy, um, I was laid off from Sodexo because there weren't other positions available for me. So then I was working part-time for hy for a while. And I had transferred down to um, the Knoxville High V so that I could be in one place all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, Knoxville High V had a contract with Knoxville Hospital, and Knoxville High V ran their diabetes center. So I essentially, the entire town of Knoxville, I was the only dietician. Oh and my gosh! I liked that. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I did like that. <laughs> Whether they came to High V or they came to the hospital, sure. it was going to be me that they saw. So that was really nice um, until I got laid off obviously. Yeah. Until that <laughs> so ended. yeah. So that was my first job in diabetes working for Knoxville hospital, Knoxville hy And I really did enjoy it. I mean, I had great coworkers, people that I liked a lot and it was, um, just unfortunate. There wasn't a place that I could transfer to. Mm-hmm. So when I was laid off from the hospital, there weren't any positions open with Hyvee at the time for full time. So I ended up moving to Springfield, Illinois to work for the Springfield diabetes and endocrinology center. Um, wow. how'd you choose Springfield? Um, my sister at the time lived there, Okay. and that's where my brother-in-law is from, so I figured if I was going to move, and it was going to be a big move, I was going to go somewhere where I sure. knew someone. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I had actually had a job offer in Philadelphia working for an independent company who did online or, um, consultations for people with diabetes, and they focused mostly on people with type one, and they were looking for someone who also lived with type one. So mm. I had flown out there and I, with the intention of accepting the job, looking for apartments, and... Um, I just couldn't make it work. Like for, I mean, for one, it was, you know, 20 hours away. Sure. You like, <laughs> but a little bit closer to home. Yeah. yeah. Like Philadelphia is an expensive city. Is it? So yeah, I was super excited about the idea. Um, but it was, gosh, you just, I couldn't make the numbers work mm-hmm. down, down yeah. there. So I, um, ended up going to Springfield to take the job down there and it didn't work out. It just ended up not being the job I thought it was going to be. I didn't enjoy it like I thought I would. Was it mostly outpatient? It was all outpatient, outpatient yes. Outpatient, We okay. were, Springfield is um, kind of southern Illinois, and um, there wasn't another diabetes clinic for quite a while. So we had about 5,000 patients. I mean, we were a huge oh clinic. Oh my gosh. How many dietitians
0: mm-hmm. do they have on staff? Or certified? Four.
1: Four. We had four dietitians, and all of them were CDEs. Okay. Um, and we didn't, of course, see every patient mm-hmm. since it was an endocrinology clinic. There were, um, other patients too, who may not necessarily need a dietitian. Yeah. Um, but it just, we also were part of a weight loss clinic and I ended up spending most of my time in the weight loss clinic, which is not where my interest was. So after about a year, I decided to come back to Des Moines and I was able to get on with hy So, I mean, that's where I've been ever since. So, and so how long have you been with hy then since you left um, Springfield? Since I left Springfield, it'll be almost three years. This okay. February, it'll be three years. So altogether, though, I've been with Hy-Vee probably seven or eight years. So it's, Quite a bit of your career you have yeah, been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just I keep leaving and coming back. So at this point, I <laughs> figure... There must be a reason. Yes, this is, this is probably where I'll stay for a while. So now that you're
0: you're with hy how does that work with your CDE and your diabetes education? Mm-hmm. How are you living out your passion with diabetes in that situation?
1: I have... Um, what I like about hy is just the freedom that we have. They kind of tell us, whatever your passion is, go out into the community and do it. And so I do spend a lot of my time in the schools um, educating kids on nutrition education and diabetes prevention, uh, for type 2 diabetes prevention. And then I'm also working on building a contract with, those, with Des Moines schools for providing education and support for those students who have type 1.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's obviously kind of like my pipe dream. Sure. It hasn't quite happened yet, but that's something that we're working on. I had um, a cousin. We weren't actually related. She married into the family, but she was very young. She was seven. Um, She had type one, and she went into DKA last May and died. (gasps) And so at her funeral, um, some of her school staff just said, you know, we don't know anything about diabetes. We don't know... How to handle this, we just don't know what to do, and that was kind of that got me started where somebody, whether it's me or somebody else, really needs to give support to the school so that they can educate the teachers and the staff. she didn't pass away at school, and her death really wasn't preventable you know there wasn't anything that they could do, but mm-hmm. it was still something that made me nervous. you know think about if this did happen at school, sure, would they know what to do? you know would we be able to prevent another death so this just this fall, that's when I started working with the schools trying to provide a little more education and support. So, um, do you so how did you get kind of
0: into the is there a big population in the school system? Um, of type one, there's
1: enough. Um, and I don't, I wish I could remember the exact numbers, but in, um, based on the population of Des Moines, there's about there's slightly under 400 people living with type 1 diabetes. Okay. And between under the age of 18, there was, I want to say, maybe 80. I don't quite remember the numbers, but maybe okay. 80 of those would be in the Des Moines Public Schools. Sure. And so it's, while it's not a huge number, it's enough where teachers, students, and staff Absolutely. need to have that support in education. Especially there's a shortage of school nurses, so a lot of schools have to share nurses. Oh, my gosh. They don't gosh. have a full-time nurse. So. Yeah. Um, especially if a nurse is going from one school to another where they might have multiple students, I wanna make sure that they know what to do. And I mean each student's gonna be a little different, but there are still generic precautions that you can take, you know, to try to prevent so that. So are
0: you wanting to get in there and educate the nurses and the
1: staff and then having like support for the kids mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. What I, I mean, what I think would be really nice is if there was some sort of liaison for the schools who acted as Um, not just like the nutrition coach, but as someone who could handle those chronic diseases who are also, also nutrition focused, Mm uh, not just diabetes, but like food allergies, celiac disease, I mean, other chronic conditions where food is involved or Mm -hmm. needs to be monitored. I just feel like the schools need someone who does that. And every school has a dietitian, but when you have one dietitian for, you know, 10,000 students, you just, (laughs) that doesn't go very far. (laughs) Someone might get lost along the way. Yeah, And so I feel like when I work with a small population of just the students with type one, I can provide much more support than a dietitian who oversees, you know, all 10,000 kids. And I understand not all 10,000 have needs, but at some point they all have to be checked on.
0: Absolutely. So if you
1: have one person kind of doing a small chunk of people, that makes that job a lot easier.
0: I love that idea. If anybody's, have you looked, is there any other model for something like this in
1: other school systems in the United States? Um, I haven't, I honestly haven't looked, um, type one diabetes is one of those things where it's kind of just left up to the family. Gotcha. Um, you can have, it's called a 504 plan, which is like a special education plan for students with needs. I don't want to necessarily say special needs because that implies, you know, they might have some kind of physical or mental disability and. It's not necessarily that, but there are special precautions that need to be taken. You know, students might need to check their blood sugar more often. They might need to use the restroom more often, have a snack during the day, you know, Mm -hmm. or grab a juice box or, you know, something they might need to sit out from gym class or something like that. And the 504 plan is supposed to cover that, but so many families don't know or choose not to when they actually need one. And so I just feel like there needs to be somebody there who can kind of just tell people, That that should be included in mm -hmm. that 504. Yeah. 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 It helps the student learn better. I mean, there's no reason that a student with diabetes should fall behind just because they have diabetes. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're going to fall behind, um, I want it to be for something... Other than that, not that I want not, them to fall behind. Yeah. But, yeah, no. <laughs> if that's going to happen, I don't want it to be because of something preventable. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. I love that idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. And I think that, like you mentioned too, with you know food allergies, and mm-hmm. they all kind of tie together, and I think a lot of those get slipped through the cracks too. Yeah. So having a liaison that's a nutrition expert, For a school system is a great idea. So if there's anyone listening, if you've done this in your schools, (laughs) I'll have Courtney's contact information. So make sure to reach out to her and maybe you guys can work together. I think that's a great idea. So talk to me more about even, you do some other stuff on the side. So you're working at Hy-Vee and you're working with schools to nutrition Mm -hmm. education with kids and hopefully Mm -hmm. with diabetes.
1: What else do you do? I know you do a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of different things. So Um, pretty much everything I do is somehow related to diabetes. (laughs) Diabetes is truly my my life. It's your your jam. (laughs) Um, I also am part of the Iowa AADE, which is the American Association of Diabetes Educators. And I do their social media and their web administration. So we have for our members, we have um, like uh, continuing education credits. We also offer sometimes just dinners where people can network. Sometimes there's education involved. Sometimes there's not. Um, and we also have online forums, you know, where people can go for resources that they have questions, maybe you know, billing questions or just difficult patient questions. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of monitor all that. And sometimes I try to spark conversation just to get people talking and networking online. I mean, obviously when you cover an entire state, not everybody's going to be able to come together in one place all the time. So I do spend, um, I wouldn't say it's a ton of time, but enough time doing that because social media, you know, is 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So we have a Facebook and a Twitter page. Um, I'll totally admit that I'm not super great (laughs) about updating (laughs) both of those. There's a lot of retweeting going on, not a whole lot of original posts, but I try to share relevant information, you know, that I think educators or people who live with diabetes – would want to get from an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, I feel like, is the hard one for me to update. Twitter, you know, you can just click just, a button. Yeah, yeah, it's super easy. Um, Facebook is a little harder because I feel like I have to come up with original content. So mm-hmm. I try. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> sometimes it. it's just pictures and silly things, but, mm-hmm. or sometimes I'll just share personal anecdotes. Like I, I do like having the advantage of being both an educator and someone who lives with diabetes because I can share my own perspective from coming from both sides. You know, so if something funny or interesting or frustrating happens to me, I'll try to post that to see if it might spark conversation. Mm -hmm. I love that. Do you
0: like doing the social media aspect of it?
1: Um, it's okay. Like (laughs) I don't have social media myself. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. Um, I used to have a blog and I got rid of it. So Uh like, it's hard for me to remember because that's no longer my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I
1: think I, I think I would be much better at it if I still had those things, but since I don't, Um, it's a little bit more difficult for me. You have to take more steps to actually do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when things are changing so much with social media, like I just don't – if I don't, you know, log in or do something for a while, I just can't figure out how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes sometimes I just give up (laughs) (laughs) mid-post.
0: Like, okay, we're going to delete that one.
1: (laughs) Right. We're just going (laughs) to let it sit until I figure this out.
0: (laughs) Do you think there's a good diabetes community out there that's searching for, you know, social media, education, compassion, you know, support
1: Mm – Yes, there is something called the Diabetes Online Community. Um, It's hashtag DOC, if anybody ever wants to use it. Um, And I used to be a big part of that. Like I, I said, I used to have a blog, and I used to do Facebook and Twitter and all that. And it's just, it's literally an international community of people with diabetes. Whether you live with diabetes, you care for someone with diabetes, you work in diabetes, it's just somehow you have that connection to diabetes. And what's nice about being international is that there's always somebody there. Because our time schedules are always different. Mm-hmm. So there is always somebody available for you. If you have questions, you need help, you just want to go on a rant. Um, <laughs> you, know, you just want to post something out there. There's always somebody who's going to respond, who's mm-hmm. going to say, hey, it's okay. Or maybe even offer advice. Um, and that's really nice. I've made a lot of friends through that. I mean, people that maybe I'll never meet in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people that I actually have. you know, People who live close by where we decided to go ahead and meet up. Meet. And Yeah. It is nice. It's, it's really fun and interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, you can feel very alone with diabetes, and that gives you that connection sure. to other people who know, who've been there and understand. And in an instant connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think it also provides educators, maybe people who don't live with diabetes but who work in it, an opportunity to see from the patient's perspective. Sometimes I feel like that, that gets lost. We mm-hmm. want to just give information so much that we forget to think about what it's like to actually be that other person. So that gives that unique connection too, where you can kind of see that through somebody else's eyes.
0: Do you recommend that to your, your own clients? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recommend
1: it to anybody. Um, there are several blogs that I follow that depending on who that person is, their unique situation, I might recommend, recommend one or another. Um, there are, are Twitter handles, you know, that I'll give out for people that I recommend following for those who are social media savvy, mm-hmm. um, you know, Facebook names and stuff that I can share and I have permission to share. So I mean, there's always a connection out there, but sometimes you need somebody else to make it for you. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you also spend a lot of your time doing private cons- like counseling with diabetes patients? Or- I don't, um, only because I have a hard time separating what I do at home and what I do at work. So I try to very much leave it at work. Mm -hmm. Um, anything that I do from home is going to be volunteer, like through AADE or maybe the American Diabetes Association, JDRF, things like that. Um, but I try to keep those separate, just because I know that it could very easily take over my entire life. Sure. So <laughs> I, I try not to. Sure. But that sometimes, makes sense. you know, somebody has a question or they need something. I mean, I might give out my phone number or my email, mm-hmm. you know, and tell them they can contact me. I don't want people to feel, you know, lost or you You're know, go a walk away from them, struggling.
0: Like, yeah. Call me at work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Wait till Monday. <laughs> I'll be in the office at nine. <laughs> right. I try not to do that, but yeah. um, I, I do try to keep work-life balance, which is hard, as mm-hmm. everybody knows.
0: <laughs> well, when you're living with diabetes yourself, it's, you know, that part of mm-hmm. it. And people know that. And so they're like, oh, well, Courtney can talk to me, <laughs> me about this and Courtney can help me. And right. Sometimes
1: so, I need a break too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. How mm-hmm. is has celiac, having celiac, how has that changed you personally with diabetes?
1: Um, it, you know, it's been tough, I would say. Um, celiac disease, the carbohydrate counting doesn't change. You know, I mean, you're always going to look at labels. You're always going to read carbohydrate counts. But I feel like getting the nutrition is hard because gluten-free foods just lack the fiber. Mm -hmm. They lack just some of those nutrients that naturally occur in other whole grains. Um, And then, I mean, gluten is essentially what holds your food together. So you have to find another replacer. So there's going to be a lot of fat or oil or butter or something like that. Eggs, I mean, I just feel like um, I struggle more with the nutrition aspect of it than I do with the actual diabetes part. The only time I feel like diabetes and celiac interact or kind of get in the way of each other is if I've somehow gotten gluten because then I get sick and then, Mm. you know, diabetes is just going on a rampage. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So I feel like that's the only time when really the two interact. And I mean, I guess a little while ago, I said I felt like celiac disease was the hardest, but I think I would like to, I think I would like to go back and say, I think diabetes is more difficult because Celiac disease, I actually only have to think about when I eat, whereas diabetes, you think about all the time. You know, you're constantly thinking about what's my blood sugar doing? Where is it going? Do I need to give insulin for what I just ate? Do I need to take a snack? Should I go exercise? You know, what's my blood Mm -hmm. sugar going to do after I do this? Or what is it before I do this? What's it going to be 10 hours from now?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about it all the time, not just at
1: the time you have food in front of you. Yeah. I think celiac was the initial hardest struggle because I had to cut those things out of my life immediately. You know, I was very sick and I needed to get rid of them. Um, so I think initially it was much more of a struggle. Whereas now that, you know, 15 years has passed or 17 years, however long it's been. <laughs> I, sometimes I forget how, how old I, I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> however long it's been. Um, I think it's been about 15 years. Um, I feel like diabetes is more of a struggle now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, diabetes just isn't advancing like I want it to be. The treatments in diabetes, that is. So I feel like... I've had a pump for a long time, 17 years. I've had a CGM for a glucose monitor for you know, maybe 10 years. But nothing, nothing new and exciting it has come changed since that. then. Yeah, So I'm kind of always waiting for that next big thing and sometimes just feel disappointed it's not coming. Whereas with celiac disease, constantly more companies are coming out with gluten-free food. There are more gluten-free restaurants, just more options where I feel like mm-hmm. I can leave, live a normal life. Um, But diabetes is is kind of that one that kind of gets in the way. You know, you're never quite normal, no matter how hard you try to be. Yeah. Well, and like you said,
0: I mean, celiac has, I mean, I'm sure it's been around for a long time, but I think Mm -hmm. it's been more pronounced, diagnosed, and it's out there. And there's been lots of accommodations for that. But you're kind of Mm -hmm. like, well, where's the diabetes at? Why isn't that catching up? Yeah. Is there anything new on the horizons that you're kind of excited about when it comes to diabetes?
1: Yeah, the artificial pancreas project I think is the most exciting. It's the closest thing that we will have to a cure until that cure actually happens. Um, and the artificial pancreas is essentially a machine that kind of does all the work for you. It's a combined uh, glucose monitor and insulin pump, but it has double chambers. It has a chamber for insulin and it also has a chamber for glucagon. So it's essentially sugar and insulin. And based on what your glucose monitor says so your blood sugar is, it will either release insulin or glucagon in response to that. So there's no calibration. Like I don't have to, I wouldn't have to poke my finger, wouldn't have to do you know shots or anything like mm-hmm. that. I would just have to refill the chambers and you know change the site every few days. So like I could live with that. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if I could forget about it for three days, sure, you know, that'd be great. Absolutely. So I think that's what I'm most excited about right now. Um, there are advances towards a cure out there, but I, I. I'm not hopeful that we'll see one in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a big struggle dealing with the immune system. So how do you shut off the immune system without actually shutting off the immune system? You know that's a very complex that's a great question. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean while I hope that we see one, every advance we make as we get closer is still just as exciting for me. So I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, happy. and you have that personal excitement and you have
0: that, you know, it's a future of your clients and mm-hmm. who you treat and who you help and see yeah. the kids in school
1: and are like, Maybe someday <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's exciting for me to see these things happen, but it's even more rewarding when I get to give that information to others and see how excited they are about it too. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: So do you feel as a dietitian right
1: now in your life, you are really living out your passion as a dietitian? Your... I do, yeah. yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Hy-Vee is, that, like I said, they give you the freedom. So I feel like I spend a lot of my days doing exactly what it is I want to be doing. Um, so, you know, some days I feel like, oh, I wish I could do more whatever. I mean, I don't even know. You know, something related to diabetes. But then there are other days when I'm going through that burnout where I'm glad I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have a good balance right now of doing diabetes education, but then other nutrition education too, because nutrition education is just as important, especially if you want to prevent diabetes. I mean, there's a lot of things that you need to know. Mm -hmm. So I really do enjoy what I'm doing.
0: And you get to do some, you have like a diabetes support group that you Mm -hmm. have as well, that you've kind of
1: organized and headed. And yeah, there's a great need for a diabetes support group. Um, I mentioned how passionate I am about mental health and that support group is kind of just a way to support others, you know, be there to handle that mental health aspect of it. So we do have a growing support group. Um, every year, we kind of add new members. So we started out, there was just one person, me and <laughs> hey. one other guy, <laughs> every month for several months. Um, and now we're growing. You know, we have about 10 regular people who come. Good. And then depending on the topic that we have, we might get more. Um, and we've just, our name is getting out there more. We were contacted by NASCAR over the summer, so we were able to get... Um, NASCAR driver, Ryan Reed, to come to our support group. I mean, that was a huge turnout. There was, mm-hmm. you know, a large group of people who are interested in that, whether they have diabetes or not. So mm-hmm. I know people are aware of the support group and I hope that over time more people will continue to come, but it's mostly just, I want people to know that we're there mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what your connection to diabetes is. You need somebody to listen. So that's what the, that's what we're there for. That's what we do. Where can
0: people find information about your diabetes program?
1: Um, I have it, it's always on hive.com. I put it every month on the dietitian calendar. Okay. People are always welcome to contact me too. And I have a support group email list, um, it has about 120 people on it. So okay. if anybody would like to be added to that, they're welcome to send me an email or if they want um, copies of the flyers, I can always email that to them too, but okay. mostly just somehow finding a way to reach me. I can get you that information. Okay. Well, we'll definitely,
0: if you're fine, we'll put your email address yeah. in the show notes um, and then also I just kind of want to ask you too. you know, is there, what is on the future horizon for Courtney? What does the future look like for you as a dietitian?
1: Um, to be honest, I don't really know. Um, I obviously hope to be continue working in diabetes to keep changing lives so that diabetes isn't such a hassle. It's mm-hmm. so not such a giant pain in the ass like it can be sometimes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, and I don't know where that will take me. You know, will I continue with HIV I hope so because mm-hmm. I really like it, but I just kind of have to see where diabetes education takes me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll be in the schools, if I'll be in a hospital, if I'll be, you know, who knows where I'll end up. Maybe working more with AADE. Yeah, it could be. I mean, Some kind of nonprofit organization. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy what it is I do now, but what we enjoy is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So over time, you know, I just don't know where it'll take me. And I kind of like that. Like I don't, I'm not very good at making plans. Like I don't (laughs) plan ahead very well. So I like not really knowing where my life is going to lead me. That's interesting for me. And I like it that way.
0: Uh, that's great. And I think, well, and it's too, like you have that freedom now in your current job. So it's, mm-hmm. it's also giving you the opportunity to explore different things. And, yeah. and but you always know your
1: focus is going to be
0: diabetes. That's
1: kind of where your are is. More likely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I could change one thing, it would be to find a way to incorporate working with diabetes and children at the same time a little more. Mm-hmm. And I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet, but... I'm excited to see what I do figure out.
0: I love that you love being in the schools. I'm also, I do stuff in the schools, but I don't think I love it as much as you do, but <laughs> <laughs> that's why I feel like I need to come with you and like recharge my battery a little bit. Is there a dietitian story that you can think of that's very memorable to you? Something that has happened in your career or in your internship mm-hmm. or? Let's see. I'm
1: sure there's probably a million, <laughs> um, I think one of my most, kind of the ones that always gets me going was it was down down when I was at the Knoxville hospital and I was doing the outpatient diabetes clinic there. And I had a guy come in who was just diagnosed with diabetes and his diagnosing A1C was 13. I mean, just wow, astronomical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super high. He'd probably had diabetes a while and, you know, either didn't go to the doctor, just got used to the symptoms, you know, whatever. And he was kind of resistant in the beginning to the education. It wasn't that he didn't believe he had diabetes as though he didn't believe he had to change. Mm. And so at the time our diabetes education was 10 sessions. So I was always afraid with the next session would he actually show up. <laughs> um and he kept he did he kept coming back and he he would never keep a food log but he would keep a blood sugar log. So I mean you know, we were kind of winning small battles, sure. And what I realized was that he was still learning, taking all the information that I was giving him. But for him, logging and everything he was doing was just not the style you know, that he wanted to do. And that was kind of my first experience with going back and using the things that i learned in education. Everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. And when he came back for his three-month follow-up, his A1C had come down to six.
0: Wow. So it had been cut
1: in half. That's that, amazing. Yeah. And that was one of those things that just reminded me where people aren't going to do it my way all the time. And they don't have to. And that was one of the things that I'd kind of forgotten that this was how I do it, so you need to do it this way too. And I had forgotten that that's just not, everybody doesn't do that. They don't always learn that way, and they don't always work that way. But for him, he figured out what did work, and it, I mean, his A1C dropped dramatically. And of course, I mean, I don't keep in touch with him now that I'm not down there anymore, but. I'm confident that he has continued to be successful because he figured out what worked for him mm-hmm. and he saw the benefits of it. You know, He felt better. He looked better. He had the ability to change his health. And I think that that's just something that I always try to keep in my mind now, that everybody's a little bit different and I need to work with those differences.
0: You probably want to like ask me, like, what did I do that got you to make that <laughs> yes. shift? Tell me yes. that. What was the component in the soup recipe that made me
1: help you get to be where you are? Because right. that's a huge leap. It was. I mean, and his was by far the biggest change that I had seen. I mean, most people don't have such dramatic drops in A1C. Um, and I probably should have asked him more questions. <laughs> you were just so excited. Was I was, <laughs> I, you know, I get that lab report back and I was just so happy yeah. about what had happened. Um, but you know, maybe not knowing is better for me because I'll continue searching to try and figure that out and to keep helping just trying to find different ways to
0: educate people. And Mm -hmm. that's a very good point for dietitians to remember that, that there's just no one exact formula that you just have Mm -hmm. to keep trying different things.
1: Yes. Everybody is so different and we have to acknowledge that, but we also have to work with it mm-hmm. too. I mean,
0: it's hard when you like, when you know in your brain what you want them to do, yes. it doesn't mean they're going to do it that
1: exact way. Right. And kind of letting people find their own way too. That's how they learn.
0: And, and it lasts
1: not, longer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's not just about what we want them to do. It's about trying to get them to also want to do it. That's a very good message. <laughs> I
0: love that. I need to remember that as I'm <laughs> with a difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, well, I have some fun questions for you. Okay. <laughs> sure. so you were, we all these sincere,
1: difficult questions. What's your favorite food? Nachos. Nachos. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I could live off nachos cuz if you count tomatoes as a fruit, they technically have all the food nutrients. So, <laughs> I'm guessing you count them as a fruit. <laughs> Usually no, but if I really want to lie to myself, I will. <laughs> Lots of color in that dish. Yes.
0: Right? <laughs> What's your least favorite food?
1: Um, my least favorite, I'm probably going to go with cauliflower. I have tried cauliflower so many different ways. Like and I'm always willing to try new foods, but cauliflower Can't do it. Can't do it. No. Mashed cauliflower is terrible. Don't lie to me and tell (laughs) me it's potatoes.
0: potatoes.
1: (laughs) What's your favorite drink? Um, hmm. I'm actually probably gonna be pretty boring. I really like Pepsi Max, which is like diet Pepsi, but tastes like regular Pepsi. Oh, I don't drink alcohol. So like, I don't have a favorite alcoholic beverage. So whenever my friends and I go out, that's your cocktail. I I always (laughs) get, I always get the Pepsi. (laughs) What's your least favorite drink? Um, Probably anything with liquor in it. <laughs> not, it's not it's your just, thing. It's so strong and burny and I just can't <laughs> handle it. I like it it's so strong and burny. That's a good
0: <laughs> analogy. There should be a bumper sticker with that on it.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite smell? Um, Lilacs. My grandma had a lilac bush at her house and I always remember going there as a kid. So lilacs will always remind me of my grandma. That's one of my favorites too. Mm-hmm.
0: I could... And nothing like fresh lilacs, just outside the yes. door. And they're so beautiful too. They I are. mean, not only do
1: they smell good, they're beautiful flowers. And they have different
0: colors. And mm-hmm. I have seven lilac trees in my backyard. So oh, in the that's spring, wonderful. It's just like I want to open the door and just smell them all. Mm-hmm. What's your least favorite smell?
1: Um, <laughs> cauliflower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the smell of cooked yeah. cauliflower. Yes,
1: <laughs> I, I am. F- it's everywhere aware about cauliflower yes. texture,
0: smell, taste. Oh, the whole everything thing. about it, yeah. <laughs> what do you have a guilty pleasure of some type of food that you have?
1: Um, food? No, I would say I don't. Um, I've worked very hard to try to separate my relationship with food to become more of like a mindful, intuitive eater. I mean, I'm not always successful, but so I don't have. I try not to attach emotion to my food. I mean, that's where. My relationship with food can go downhill. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a guilty pleasure with food, but I will say with just like stuff, yes, my guilty pleasure is totally Netflix. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, if I have no plans, I will just Netflix. binge watch something. <laughs> yes. I don't even care what it is.
0: What are, what are you watching right now?
1: Um, Right now, I don't have anything, but I just went through Lost for the second time, and I went through The Sopranos for the second time.
0: (laughs) I loved The Sopranos.
1: Yes. Well, my family, my mom's side of the family is Italian, and sometimes I just, I mean, obviously not in the murder drugs part, but sometimes I just saw bits of my family (laughs) in the Italian heritage. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good. You didn't see the the whole thing. (laughs)
1: That's right. We're not a violent family.
0: Netflix is great. I'm looking for a new show, so if you come across something, let me know. I, okay, I will. <laughs> I like I trust you with your with your taste, <laughs> so
1: oh, don't be too sure.
0: <laughs> well, I am so excited that you spent some time with me today, and I'm going to put your contact information on our show notes, so if anyone gets wants to get in contact with Courtney about diabetes or just some support or some information about her specialty and her expertise, there. So
1: thank you, thank you very much. It was fun.
0: Courtney is one amazing woman who has such a passion for helping others with diabetes, both with nutrition and emotional support. She understands what her clients are going through and can really relate with where they are on their own personal journey. It will be great to see how Courtney continues her passion and purpose by working with children who are living with diabetes. And I am going to tag along with her sometime in the future to learn more from a nutrition expert in education. Thanks so much to Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn for supplying my guests with snacks and samples. Healthy Pop is available in a variety of flavors and sizes, all of which that are low in fat and high on deliciousness. Did you know that just three cups of Jolly Time popcorn equals one whole grain serving? Jolly Time is family owned and located in Sioux City, Iowa. And if you want to learn more, visit JollyTime.com for more information and to print high value money saving coupons. Snack Smarter and Snack Happy with Jolly Time Popcorn. Please go to annelizabeth.com where my book, I'm Registered Dietitian, Now What?, is available and you can find all the show notes and links to things that we talked about and connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at annelizabethsrd. And I remind you to be great, always find the joy in each day and to start a conversation that truly matters.